0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, December 13, 2017 edition of our little weather podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. If you're watching on YouTube Live or Facebook Live or Periscope, or if you're listening to us sometime later on, welcome to uh, the Carolina Weather Group. Uh, we have Miss Ashley Morris on with us tonight. You are uh, pretty familiar with Ashley. She's been with us the past few shows, but tonight it's all about her. Um, Ashley is an emergency management uh, specialist with we have some county, Texas, so we'll uh, bring Ashley in here in just a little bit and get to know her. But before we do that, we'll do a few house clean, uh, house clean, housekeeping rules. Uh, we uh, are a live broadcast tonight, so if you uh, do want to interact with us, we encourage that. You can do that one of uh, several ways by interacting with us on Twitter at Carolina WX Group, or you can comment on the Periscope or Facebook live feed, and uh, we'll monitor those throughout the show. You can also comment on the YouTube uh, live uh, YouTube link, or if you are listening uh, sometime uh, in the next day or so, or months from now, or whatever, uh, we'll let Ashley share her social media account at the end of the show, and that way uh, you can interact with her um, that way. So that's about it for the housekeeping rules. Um, I want to uh, bring our panelists in. We've had a <clears throat> excuse me an interesting week of weather. And, uh, boy, has it been interesting. Peter, you still experiencing some of it. How's it in the uh, Philly area? Well, uh,
1: very cold. <laughs> feel like we're in the Arctic tundra. Uh, but we got a cold front come through last night. Dropped us down pretty low this morning. Uh, we had a low of 20 uh, around 6 o'clock this morning. And today we only hit a high of 31 with the wind blowing really bad. So uh, wind chills are down in the teens pretty much all day. And uh, tonight's going to be another cold one. We're going to get a little clipper system moving, maybe a coating to an inch of snow. And again, temperatures in the 20s. And then it's going to stay cold the next couple of days before we warm back up to more seasonable temperatures, maybe uh, starting Sunday. It looks like most of the next week's in the 50s. But uh, before I go, I want to show you the lovely snow that we had over the weekend, like many of us experienced the last couple of days. It gives the Christmas lights some little flare. It's, it's very nice when that happens, but uh, we ended up with about three to three and a half inches. wasn't too, too bad. It pretty much snowed the entire day Saturday, but didn't cause too much of a problem, and most people are off from work and school, so not too many accidents or anything from what I heard. So uh, it was nice just to have a little snow for the first of the season. So, yeah, that's it. So uh, no snow in the forecast anytime soon, so uh, hopefully it stays away for a little while longer. But, Scotty, back to you. All right,
0: Peter, thank you for that. Um, Not only did Peter see some snow up there, but uh, a lot of us did. Well, maybe not Jared and Shay. But, uh, James, you were traveling. You were on vacation last week. We do want to wish you a happy belated birthday, but... Uh, You found yourself also in the midst of uh, winter storm Benji, right? Is that what we're calling it?
2: Dare we call it that? That is right, Scotty. I was in uh, Washington, D.C. as that storm came on through, a little bit of a birthday vacation with my wife, who also shares birthday with me. So we went to Philadelphia and Lancaster and Hershey, had a nice little week up there in the mid-Atlantic area, and now are back with you uh, and and brought you some of these cold temperatures uh, back to share with you all, uh, especially if you're up in the mountains where it is most certainly December, so, uh, it, you know, it doesn't seem like that long ago that it was 70 degrees outside, but but not anymore.
0: That's true. I mean, I think uh, December 1st or something, we were 70 degrees in the Carolinas, and uh, we, uh, like James talking about, we in the western North Carolina experienced uh, the uh, winter storm that rolled through Friday and actually snowed into a good portion of Saturday. Um, I'm, I don't know the exact amount of time, but I think uh, from 8 a.m. Friday morning to about 2 p.m. Saturday, uh, sorry, I'm dealing with some allergy issues, uh, we saw some sort of snow falling from the sky, so uh, it was a a long-duration snow event, and many portions uh, saw a couple of inches, (coughs) excuse me, but a few areas in the mountains saw uh, over a foot of snow in the North Carolina Mountains, so it was a wintry scene here, nine days into meteorological winter, and it looks like uh, we remain in that active storm pattern. So who knows? We may see another wintry event before the month is over. So next, before I cough my head off here so I can mute myself, let's go down to the coast. And Jared, how's things down in the Charleston area?
3: Cold. We I uh, was uh, out and about a little bit this weekend. And uh, yeah, last week was uh, 43 degrees with cold rain. I just like... Can you please just help us out with that? We had a, a a nice inversion in place, which made sure that everything making it to the ground was liquid, unfortunately. Um, still very chilly. We had another reinforcing shot of cold air come through last night. Only got to about 51 today. Um, gonna, we're right back into the 30s this evening, and then uh, back into the 60s for a couple days, um, just kind of a, a up and down, kind of a little bit of a roller coaster temperature-wise as we get reinforcing shots of uh, cold air, and then been swing around so a little bit of a progressive pattern down here, um, not quite as affected by that uh, upper trough as we were earlier last week. so uh, you know, just a uh, great sweater weather, uh, sweater weather, and um, lots of tea and uh, coffee and other warm things. So back to you, Scotty.
0: Well, at least it feels like the season though, you know I mean, it's been pretty warm in December the past couple of years, so. Uh, Shape. I'll let you kind of talk about um, maybe if you have anything to add to the Charleston weather, but you are also our tropics guy, and not only do you watch the tropics, but you also watch El Nino and La Nina. So if you want to comment on that, I'll let you do that right now.
4: Yes, sure, Scotty. We are in uh, La Nina now. Um, I'm sorry, La Nina watch. We're still, you know, just just teeter tottering on there, and uh, so we're expecting a, a La Nina to occur and actually go right on through. Um, I'm sorry La Nina is here and then go on through uh, late winter so that'll kind of swing the temperatures we're gonna have a pretty pretty wild swinging of temperatures I imagine lots of ups and downs in the southeast Uh, typical La Nina Nina pattern calls for warmer than normal and uh, below normal precip Uh, I'm sorry above normal is that right Jared above normal am I losing my mind tonight I'm just
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I think I I think you're there yeah But either way, uh, we've
4: we've actually had a a chillier start than we've seen in in quite a while for December. Uh, I can do a a share screen real quick. This is something I shared in the uh, Chucktown Wind Report. This is sort of the pattern right now. We have high pressure, really a large ridge expanded across the the Gulf of Mexico out into the Atlantic, and that's keeping more or less a westerly zonal flow above it. Uh, This was yesterday where we had a dry cold front work through the area, and now we have this next front, that's behind it. This front's well out to sea now. We have another front just like this, almost a very similar scenario than what we had yesterday. Uh, so we have a, a dominant westerly zonal flow with that. And in fact, right now we have a little bit of inversion going on and we have some nocturnal jetting, Jared. So this is pretty interesting. We have 17 to 20 mm-hmm. southwest. Uh, so it's a little bit, um, maybe a little bit warmer. You know, air temperature is 48.2 degrees, but we do have in the sounding from 8 o'clock p.m. this this warm uh, mm-hmm. Inversion right here, and you can see it right there on the uh, on the sounding for tonight So a little bit of interesting weather going on even though it's it's well ahead of the next frontal boundary That's going to be coming through the area. And it just makes for tricky forecasting in this area for sure I mean you, you don't know if the sea breeze is going to grab it in some of the warmth of the day or, or maybe put that southerly element to it um, but overall I mean, you know, it's still chilly no matter what and our sea surface temperatures are actually down to our cooler shelf waters right now down to about 55 degrees so mm-hmm. here's the uh sea surface temperature composite and you can see there in, in celsius that, that roughly is about 54 55 degrees we've been getting down near freezing every night uh, we had some frost on the windshield two nights ago uh one night ago we got a little bit warm then we got cold again last night and uh, some frost on the windshields this morning so yeah we're we're pretty chilly on the coast it's not comfortable in the southeast right now that's for sure
0: All right, Shay, thank you for that report. And um, I had the uh, Periscope Live going on my phone there. So let me cut that off. But let's, um, before we do this, a little thing. You know, Peter is normally eating Cinnabon on the show. But I do want to say tonight's show is brought to you by Ricola. So, um, you know, if you want to tweet them and say, hey, we heard you on Carolina Weather Group, go ahead. So with that, let's bring in Ashley Morris tonight. Ashley, you have joined us over the last a few weeks uh, as we talked about the tropics and last week as we was talking about Harvey, but we've not really got to know you. So tonight's show is all about you, and uh, we want to welcome you to our show tonight, and I kind of give you uh, the opportunity to let uh, our folks who listen and and watch the program know who you are and kind of learn a little bit about you. So uh, welcome tonight, and I'll let you uh, go ahead and start off the show and kind of tell us a little bit about you.
5: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So my name is Ashley Morris. I'm currently an emergency management specialist for Williamson County. Um, I'm a big weather nerd. So I originally wanted to do meteorology and all of that. Uh, Ever since I was in second grade, I got caught in a thunderstorm in New Mexico during monsoon season with my dad. And we were outside at a track. I was very scared. And basically, he taught me how to count the seconds uh, between seeing the lightning and hearing the thunder. So I think I was just so scared at that point. I just wanted something to kind of focus on. So that kind of started it for me. I didn't have any big uh, disaster event or anything because I'm from New Mexico. So we don't get too much uh, big weather events there. But so ever since second grade, I was really interested in weather, knew I wanted to do forecasting, um, was terrified of doing media, so had no aspirations to go into TV. So I was always kind of on track to do forecasting for the weather service. And then I kind of made a career switch when I got up into uh, Texas Tech University. Uh, I got my undergraduate in geophysics and atmospheric science, and then I got up into graduate school for atmospheric science, and I started realizing that my passions are more in uh, disaster management and kind of how weather impacts people instead of, you know, coming up with the equations for models and things like that. So I kind of took that little switch there and hit the ground running, and I got my master's in natural hazards geography from Texas Tech and then moved here about eight months ago, and I absolutely love it so far.
0: I have to unmute myself. Um, So, yeah, uh, have you always lived in Texas? I mean, uh, have you been able to go to other areas of the country, or has Texas always been kind of your, your home area that you've been able to watch the weather
5: Well, I grew up in New Mexico in the Four Corners area. I'm actually from a small town um, called Aztec. So it's up there really close to Colorado. Um, But I've been in Lubbock, Texas from 2010 to 2016 at Texas Tech University uh, going to school. And then I just moved here uh, last April and I've been here. So Texas is now my home. It's pretty much been my home for the past six years. But I always have that New Mexico connection. I will say I was always really bummed out because I would watch the Weather Channel um, just looking for weather, being so interested in it, and they would have live coverage of you know tornadoes or severe weather, and I would always be so bummed because we just didn't get that kind of thing there. Uh, we got monsoon thunderstorms, but we never got anything bigger than pea-sized hail. So New Mexico was uh, much to be desired on the weather front, so I definitely like Texas a lot more.
0: A little bit more active, a little bit more active. So, you're telling us, you know, you were going into forecasting and then uh, now you have a role with emergency management. So, what made you want to go from forecasting weather to maybe being a more uh, important role in the emergency management front?
5: Well, I think it was always just what kind of drove my interest, um, especially when it comes to my passion for just helping people. And I was always one to teach people weather safety. Um, so I would walk. I would follow weather and pay attention to it. But I would always be the one to tell my friends and family, "Hey, we have storms coming. Make sure you have a plan. Make sure you do all of that stuff." And when I uh, had aspirations of doing the weather service, I always wanted to kind of fall into that role and get involved in things like uh, Weather Ready Nation, things like that. But then I kind of realized that I could do that full time uh, just through doing emergency management. And I think in graduate school it really hit me that I could have a forecast 100% accurate, but at the end of the day if people don't know about it or they don't know what to do or they don't know how to be prepared and we can't get the message to them, then our forecast is pretty much worthless. So I think that point kind of hit me and I wanted to go and see if I couldn't bridge the connection between science and meteorology and first response and emergency management because time after time I've seen a lot of really big gaps between and the emergency management. So I kind of wanted to jump in there and see if I could help with that.
0: And Ashley, um, a lot of our followers who who watch or listen to our program, you know, they may be weather enthusiasts or um, some are students. Um, some are even meteorologists in, in their uh, field. Um, but for those people who may not understand exactly what emergency management does or what emergency management is, you know, they may hear the term but not exactly understand what what that department does, kind of tell us about the, the roles of emergency management in, in an individual county, you know, your county or I'm sure what you do in your county would correlate to what's done in the Carolinas or whatever, you know, what is – What does an emergency manager, or what does the emergency emergency management department do?
5: So emergency management is kind of the hidden workers when it comes to uh, government disaster and things like that. Uh, A lot of people just automatically think FEMA, but that's obviously national emergency management. So we have many different agencies and different levels of emergency management, just like we have different levels of government. So you have your local levels, so your city and county emergency management, and then you have your state levels. So we have uh, the Texas Department of Emergency Management, and then you have FEMA at the top. So basically our whole job is to uh, prepare, respond, recover, and mitigate disasters. So some things for uh, preparing, what we do is we write the plans. So we have a Williamson County emergency operations plan where we all sit down and we consider what are the hazards here. So we are vulnerable for tornadoes, uh, hurricanes, wildfires, um, pretty much anything like that. And then we think of ways we can respond to those disasters um, in ways that are logical and also uh, cost efficient because the government only provides us a certain amount of money that we can do to actually manage these disasters. Uh, So that's kind of what we do for preparation. We also test those plans through exercises. So we will uh, basically get together with our partners and run through our plans. We'll do simulations with the weather service um, for storm events to see if our plans are up to par. And then we'll also do outreach. And that's something I'm Beyond uh, passionate about so go around the schools go to community events do things like that and teach people what to do and try to get people prepared beforehand. So we're not trying to take care of them too much after because it's been shown in research that if you're prepared before. You're actually better off so that's kind of for preparation what we do response we are coordinating the resources keeping track of the paperwork. Uh, doing all the the logistics of a disaster response, and I've kind of touched on that uh, a couple of the other podcasts. Uh, Recovery, so when we're rebuilding, we're also keeping track of all the paperwork, um, making plans on how we should rebuild, working with our partners, our agencies. And then mitigation is when we will actually write grants, once again get with our partners and we will try to prevent some of these disasters from happening. So for instance, if I have a big flood in Williamson County, I'm going to map that flood after and I'm going to see if I can mitigate that. So maybe I won't rebuild in that area. So that flood doesn't happen again, or maybe I get a grant to uh, provide hurricane straps and construction for the new houses to keep the roofs on or keep them more strong during damaging winds. Things like that. So those are kind of the four realms we play in. Um, all emergency management agencies are different and your position is different. But I kind of dabble in all of them. But I'll say I have the most experience currently with probably preparedness and plan writing.
0: And so, Ashley, uh, talk to us about, you know, everyday job before we kind of go in it about the different um, um, natural disasters that you guys prepare for. Tell us about your everyday job. You know, what? What does a normal day look like for you and, and then, um, you know, maybe what does it look like when, when you're kind of ramping up for uh, a different storm or, or, or storm system?
5: Yeah, so in every day I pretty much work uh, 8 to 5 on a blue sky day. Uh, I'll go to work. Uh, currently I'm working on a few projects right now. Um, one of them is actually pre-planning and making plans for all of the hazardous facilities in our county. So the state has mandates that these facilities with chemicals have to report what chemicals they have. And it's up to us to make sure we know where they are, uh, what kind of chemicals, what's the risk um, and all those kinds of things in order to make evacuation plans and things like that. If you know we have uh, situations such as what happened in West, which you guys might have heard of with the, the fertilizer explosion. Uh, So I'm currently working on that. Uh, We have a ton of those that I've been writing. Um, also working on some exercises. So we're going to test uh, some of our dam disaster plans. So we have a, a dam in the county that needs to get tested. And what we'll do is we write a scenario with the weather service, basically a flood event. And we go into the emergency operations room. And what we will do is we'll test that plan. So we gather around and we pretend like it's really raining, you know, six inches outside. What are you going to do? And then we have observers who will judge those plans and judge their responses, and then we can fix our plan. So it's basically, you know, think of it like a fire drill, but with our our, uh, dam failure plan. So I'm currently writing some of those. And then I'm also a huge coordinator for outreach. So right now I'm working on a tornado preparedness outreach initiative for next year, I want to do a county-wide tornado drill, so at a certain time, I would like to have the weather service put in a test for a tornado uh, warning over the uh, weather radio, and then everybody will practice their tornado drill in the county, Um, and that's kind of one of the initiatives that I've been focusing on. But something else to touch on, too, I do have a weather background, so once a week, usually Mondays, I come in, I'll look at models. Um, And I'll kind of do some forecasting, uh, mostly for our county. And then I do a big summary email to our office. And the way I do this forecast is kind of different than NWS or anything. I do it more on an impact base. So I focus in on what the threat is and what we might need to do about it. So every week I spend a little bit of time keeping up with the weather maps, keeping up with the data, Um, reading the models, and then communicating that to my partners, which we have now gone from pushing these emails to the um, OEM all the way to pushing them to our fire chiefs and then our road and bridge. So we're starting to spread these uh, weather briefings further through the county. My hope is that it just offers another perspective for them to easily understand the data, because I know that I think with the communication and stuff, um, sometimes it's hard for different uh, responders and agencies to understand the forecast coming from, you know, NWS or anybody else.
0: And then Ashley, uh, I don't know my cheat, Texas geography too, too well, but I do believe you're just north of Austin. So um, do you guys do maybe joint efforts at times? I know Austin, uh, a big metropolitan area. Uh, Do you guys kind of coordinate stuff together or you kind of do your own thing?
5: Yeah, uh, we coordinate uh, big events, definitely. Uh, So Hurricane Harvey was an example uh, because we border them. So we have plans and agreements. It's called mutual aid agreements. So if they get hung up on something and they might need a resource, uh, we could definitely maybe send them something. So, for instance, if they got hit by a tornado, but they only had one bulldozer, but the county here has two, I could make an agreement to send them a couple of our bulldozers and then they will either pay me back later through their county money or we'll make some kind of trade. Uh, so we're always working with them on different plans, different responses, um, and staying in touch with them as well, uh, such as through conference calls and things like that.
0: And one more thing, and guys feel free to jump in whenever before um, before we're talking about preparing for different events. Um, I do want to say, you know, you guys are also responsible for providing support to large events that may be happening in your city, you know, maybe festivals or, or um, outings, things like that. So how do you guys, how do you go about preparing for those? I know uh, many locations have like big festivals or parades and stuff like that. So uh, what do you guys do there in, in your county? Uh, what kind of events are, are you guys kind of doing a little bit more work for to make sure everyone's safe?
5: Yeah, so we call those uh, pre-planned events. So events are things that we actually know are coming and handle. Incidents are things like weather events that we don't know or explosions. So for events, we actually have plans that we will write for that and plans in place to kind of just help us stay organized. And we have a structure uh, to make sure that all the resources and everything goes about that. Uh, So if we're going to have an event, we would gather... Uh, with our LE, which is law enforcement, uh, fire departments, public works, uh, pretty much any government agency that might be involved. And we would sit down and make plans. And depending on the weather, uh, depending on the threats, uh, we do two different kinds of planning. And I always remind people of that. Uh, The weather hazard one. So if it's going to be hot, we'll plan for resources for heat exhaustion. So we'll stage, you know, medical tents and EMS to look for people who might be suffering from heat exhaustion. Or if it's going to be storming, we'll be in touch with the NWS if we need to shut down an event, Um, things like that. Or on the other side, we'll also plan for um, human-induced disasters, which are along the lines of violence, uh, unrest, uh, terrorism, things like that. So we all work together as agencies and we use our specialties to plan for that. So we might have barriers to protect people and you know try to keep cars out of the, the area or we might have security guards for safety. So there's a lot of things that go on, I kind of kind of see us as people who think of the worst case scenario. We're always thinking what's the worst thing that can happen and then let's plan for that.
0: That's, uh, that's a good description there. Um, So living in in your part of the world in Texas, I mean, like you were talking about earlier, you have to deal with um, tropical systems, uh, tornadoes, flooding, a big concern, wildfires, and even from time to time, winter storms. So uh, talk to us a little bit about how you uh, and your office prepare for each of these. I guess maybe uh, the tropics being um, the freshest on everyone's mind, you know, with the active hurricane season. but. Kind of just, uh, if you will, briefly go through uh, each of those scenarios and, and what you guys do and what you're your part of the preparations.
5: Yeah, so like I said, um, they've done lots of studies, especially FEMA, on how to do preparations and planning for different kinds of disasters. And while it's important to identify what uh, disasters or incidents you're going to have most of, um, it's equally as important to have a plan that you can – Place into action no matter what the disaster is so like I said earlier um, we try to make a response plan that is all hazards which is what we call it Um, so those plans can be used for any event however for certain events we will go through and make sure that we're on the right page so for instance uh, we're really worried about wildfire season next winter Uh, because of La Nina, because we have not been getting much precipitation lately. Um, I'm concerned about vegetation after all the rain we got after Harvey. So we went from getting a bunch of rain, having a bunch of grass pop up, and now it's just pretty much dead, dried out. So right now what we're working on is letting our fire chiefs know that we're concerned about that and that that might be a big risk for our area next spring. Um, and then they will help train the firefighters, help get them ready for um, wildfire season through trainings. Um, they'll make sure that they have the right equipment. Uh, we will also do coordinations with communications because it's important when we're in the field that we have radios and ways to communicate um, like that. Um, and really just meeting with your partners and making sure everyone is aware of your risk and what we're going to do about it. That's kind of um the first thing that we want to do. It's the most important thing, I think, when you're talking about having a successful response later.
0: All right, that sounds good. I have a few more questions, but I do want to open up to our panelists. Anybody else have, um, have any particular things you want to talk about? I know we want to talk about um, social media and your outreach. I know that's a big thing that uh, you've been working on and your um, research that you uh, did at Texas Tech, but uh, anybody else have anything Shay, I know maybe with you living on the trop- uh, on the coast you know we've, we've talked with you about preparations and, and evacuations and stuff for South Carolina so
4: yeah, one thing I've always wondered is um, and this is a this is kind of a different question actually what do you do with your families what what do emergency managers do with their families during times of emergency? I mean do you guys have kind of a an understood kind of I wouldn't say first dibs but I mean you guys have to operate you have to continue to work and operate and do they take care of you in you know for for being a part of the system do they take care of you and your family or the family allowed to come stay at the shelters with you or how does that work
5: so That's an interesting question that I haven't had time or a chance to actually get to experience that, except maybe a little with Harvey. But like I said before, we got really lucky with Harvey. Um, It ended up being a lot worse down south. Uh, But actually, I've spoken to many emergency managers, and it's an agreement that uh, really we're considered first responders in a way. Um, We might not always be out on the front lines like our police and fire and EMS and things like that, but uh, we will be away for... 12 hours, 14 hours, 24 hours, sometimes longer than that if uh, we are expected to just crash at the EOC, um, you know, work 12 hours, sleep in a cot in the back room, come back out. So uh, a lot of EMs have told me it is you know in agreement with their families to understand that they're not going to be around. And I know I've spoken to a couple that have actually made plans with their spouse or their children, to make sure they know what to do when they're not around because you know when the bad weather is forecasted or anything like that we're just simply not going to be there so um we need to make sure that our families can carry on without us and kind of know how to handle it um like i said i haven't had any um experience in that yet but i know that i there are some that are worried and you have to just try to not worry about it and just do your job um, right right
4: Yeah. When we had Wilma was coming, like, uh, you know, folks were asking me here in Charleston, we weren't sure if this thing was going to skirt up the Florida coast and maybe beeline at the Southeast, or if it was going to keep going West, which it actually did. Uh, But that was sort of a concern of mine is, you know, we, we didn't know. And once that thing turns, you really just didn't have a lot of time after that. And, And, you know, hotel rooms are filling up because people are emptying Florida heading North. And so, same kind of thing in Texas where everybody's spreading in certain directions. So what do you, you know, what do you do? And that's why I asked that question. Um, you know, I took the family and left, you know, while while we still could get rooms up in the mountains, of course, you know, then we had rain and winds up there. But, uh, you know, I always wonder that, like, what, what about the people that have to stay here? What do they do with their families? They just put them in a van and say, go, go, leave. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, what, what sort of um, time are you afforded if an emergency comes up? Can you stop what you're doing to go assist your own family?
5: Well, um, if it was me, like, let's say I had an event tomorrow and I had my family up here, I would probably try to send them. Like, in the case that we had an evacuation, um, I would try to send them and get them a hotel. But it would be without me because I would have to stay here and work. Um, They would definitely be welcome to the public shelters, but, you know, public shelters aren't always the most comfortable places. Um, They're very last resort, so um, I would probably just try to push them to go with family or whatever our family plan is, which I encourage everyone to have that in advance. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely an issue, Um, and I know I think it would depend on the EM, too, because, like, for instance, if my director was in the EOC, I don't see him taking a lot of time to, you know, make personal phone calls because it's just so crazy amount of work and coordination and stress that you have to deal with. Um, So I think with my future in EM, I want to make sure that my family is self-reliant without me because I might not be able to come home for seven days.
4: Right. Thanks for answering that. I know that's a tough question, but that's something that's been kind of brewing on my mind. I think other people have asked me the same thing in the past too, but uh, appreciate your your um, your view on your viewpoint on that. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a great point, Ashley. Um, part of my role is is being a consultant for a local emergency management here in Western North Carolina, and being stationed in the EOC uh, in the war room. Um, man, time flies by. You know, in, in intense situations, you know, before you know it, you've been in there six, seven, eight hours, and you don't even realize it. Kind of talk to to the folks who may have not experienced the war room or or the EOC kind of talk to us about what is going on in, in, in that area and, um, who all is there?
5: Yeah. So your EOC is your emergency operations center. And basically I like to just explain it as a giant conference room. So ours for the County, it's a big room. We have TVs all along the walls. Uh, we have big tables. Each table has, uh, phones to use, uh, personal computers, uh, things like that. And every chair is designated to a certain person from a certain agency based on the ICS system from FEMA, which is incident command. So, uh, our listeners might be familiar with that. Um, like armed forces uses incident command or chain of command, um, LE, law enforcement, they use chain of command. So basically, it's just a way to organize your responders by identifying who's running the show and then who's under them. So it looks almost like a giant family tree, kind of. And you just go up the tree to get to the person in power who's making the decisions. But every chair is going to be the head of whatever department. So for instance, in ours, we have the head of law enforcement or sheriff's. We might have the head from the county road and bridge. We have the public information officer who's very important because she's going to be the one who's talking to the media about what we're doing. Uh, We have a Red Cross representative because we work with them for sheltering and things like that. Um, We have a a weather service person if we are able to, depending on um, kind of the locality of the event and what's going on around us. So we have a, a weather seat in there. We have a GIS seat. So basically, all the agencies that might have a, a, a piece to play in the game are in one room, so everyone can correspond and make agreements on what steps we need to take. So it it just makes communication easier when you're all in the same room, and you can make decisions all together instead of making decisions that might cost you money, like duplicate decisions, things like that. Right.
0: And Shay, I think uh, I was able to bring Shay into our our little EOC war room uh, back during Hurricane Irma, and I think Shay got to experience a little bit of, of what we do uh, up in our area. And Shay, it's kind of busy from times, isn't it?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys are, um, you know, this is pretty nonstop. I mean, everyone's, you know, just working hard, and then there's, you know, there's meeting, series of meetings, and then, you know, the National Weather Service gets on, and you do a briefing uh-huh. with them, and everybody from all the surrounding counties report in, and Um, I mean, there was a lot of people on there. There was a lot of people just on that one call that was, you know, easily 30 minutes to an hour long uh, conference call with with the local with Green Greenville Spartanburg GSP uh, weather service up there. So a lot of coordination, not just with the weather service, but with, I imagine, many other uh, departments and agencies maybe talk about. Uh, i know you you mentioned law enforcement fire department are there any other agencies i mean you did mention incident command systems so there's some elements of fema going on there as well right
5: yes um fema will only really be into the picture if we are looking at a a national disaster um, and they probably won't be sent down until we automatically kick it to the state um so we would already declared a county-wide disaster because basically what you do The rule is, is disasters all start local. So, you know, we have money to deal with it. But once we run out of that money, we need help. We don't have anything else to provide for the citizens. So we will reach out to the state. The state has money. And then once the state runs out of money, they reach out to federal. So we have places for FEMA to come in, but they wouldn't come in unless it was a wide scale national uh, disaster event. Um, But you're right, we have a lot more agencies. Uh, We have hospitals that we have to uh, work with, especially with that, um, if we're gonna have injuries or anything like that. Um, Mass casualty, so we have partners for that, um, dealing with recovery, dealing with identification, dealing with the sensitivities that go along with that. Um, We have, I'm trying to think of some other ones here. EMS, which I think I mentioned, um, IT. IT is super important because everything in there is technology. So if you have a crash in the middle of your event, that's probably not too good. Uh, so basically, you could pretty much bring in anybody in there that's relevant to the disaster. And that's the interesting thing. So,
4: right. So um, what happens like when when say there's a there's a threat of a, a, a major winter storm or maybe even a hurricane? Uh, And it looks like it's going to be a pretty significant event. And you're gearing up for it. You don't know what to to sort of expect at that time except to prepare for, uh, you know, I I would say a disaster. But once the governor declares a state of emergency, what does that do for emergency management? What does that activate?
5: So, yeah. So once the state goes ahead and puts in that declaration, that automatically opens it up to FEMA funds, national funds. And that's why I was going to say, so for Harvey, we weren't sure what we're going to get because we were right on the cusp of like anywhere from four inches to 15 inches and it kept moving and I was watching it and I was, I was concerned about it. So we just didn't know what we're going to expect. So we actually had our County judge because in, in Texas, The county judge is basically God, you can call it. So he makes all the calls on evacuations or anything like that. So before Harvey, we had our county judge go ahead and draft the disaster declaration for the county. So all he had to do was sign it. So we had that prepared. So as soon as we would have reached the threshold or we would have known that we wouldn't have had the resources, he would have signed it, and that would have automatically opened it up to state. So you'll see now a lot of agencies will go ahead and declare ahead of time to open up for the next level of funding because it's a paperwork issue and you don't want to lose time with those funds. So they're doing that to try to beat the clock so they can get those resources and funds in earlier instead of waiting because the waiting game really puts a strain on your resources and then it looks like you're not doing anything.
4: Right, so. right. And That was going to lead to my next question what role do mayors have or municipalities have in this whole scheme you know like what um there's always some you know we saw katrina we saw what happened there with, with mayor Reynagan, we saw you know with, with harvey there was some criticism you know these mayors have tough decisions um how how does what they decide to do or what they do with their in their office getting the message out affect emergency management in those cities
5: so it definitely affects us and like i said texas is different because uh we're on a county base and like our county judge trumps mayor and everything and and county judge technically trumps governor so our governor can stand up and say evacuate but it doesn't really mean anything until our county judge says you know i order evacuation so for us whether or not he makes the call to do it or not it completely affects whether or not we're going to do it however Uh, we, you know, we work very closely with him and through the constitution and the way our government works. um, The only reason we're even allowed to make decisions is because uh, he gives us some power to do that through emergency management. So uh, the the county judge is a crucial piece of emergency management decisions. So we're going to be coordinating with him and working with him and uh, basically doing that. Uh, So it definitely plays a role.
0: Very interested. Well, uh, we are closing in on the nine o'clock hour. A few more things I want to hit before uh, we log off tonight. Um, I know, Ashley, you uh, do a lot of outreach. So, talk to us a little bit about social media and, and how you uh, reach out to, uh, to your folks there in Williams- Williamson County.
5: Yeah, so I am a huge social me- media advocate uh, for emergency management usage, not only during disasters, but also for outreach. So starting off with outreach, um, I have really helped our public information officer uh, put out messages uh, about you know, being prepared. Uh, I actually made us uh, WRN ambassadors. So uh, our office is a member of that. And I try to kind of share what they want us to share. So we're doing winter weather right now. And of course, I leave out the Clippers and the nor'easter stuff because, that's not relevant to Texas. But I do share those kind of graphics on our social media accounts in hopes that people will, you know, just get the information and get prepared. Um, I think the hardest part of that is just getting people to respond, though. So one of my biggest challenges is just seeing how can I engage people? Because sometimes I'm putting it out there, but it doesn't seem like a lot of people are really willing to bite, if you know what I mean. So I'm trying to look at funny ways to use, uh, you know, memes and pop culture to make people excited about preparedness because sometimes I think the ready.gov stuff is, you know, a little cliche and people just won't react to it. But it's free, I love using it, Um, and I think I'll continue to use social media for outreach for the entirety of my career until there's something else.
3: Hey, Ashley. um on the other side of that, how uh, are you all using social media for incoming information, situational awareness, things like that?
5: Definitely. So when I was at Texas Tech, I actually got to join one of the VOS teams um, with the Weather Service, and I fell in love with the fact that you you know you can use TweetDeck, you can data mine, you can search uh, you know keywords. Uh, Flood, tornado, damage, whatever. You can do a geocode GPS point with a radius and pull all those tweets So I already had a little experience doing that and I wanted to bring that into this so uh, So far I have been doing that and for Harvey. I actually used uh, Twitter just like that with TweetDeck uh, looking for damage reports and flooding making sure we were staying in an okay place with the floodwaters and everything And then also something interesting is Snapchat, which not a lot of people have used, but they have the Snapchat map. I actually had the opportunity to use that um, for the flooding in Harvey. And I was trying to find certain parks with the rivers we're concerned and going through all of those snaps and seeing if there were any flooding ones. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited to be able to use that. And I think it is absolutely crucial for emergency management to use social media data mining. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, I was able to use Snapchat uh, during uh, Irma, and we were able to, for similar things, they were able to see a lot of flooding video, uh, put something in the weather service chat about it, and they called me, and it's like, yeah, we can't use Snapchat. What are you seeing? So, <laughs> so, but um, Snapchat, Instagram now lets you follow hashtags and, and locations, so there's some really cool things coming on with that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, we but, recommend Shay. Shay's a great ah, Snapchatter.
3: Come on
0: now. <laughs> I, I got to get
3: on the
4: wagon, though, because Snapcasting is a new thing. That's right. it.
0: That's it, that's it. Well, one last topic I want to hit on before we uh, close out the show and do our Tweets of the Week is, uh, Ashley, uh, you did some uh, extensive research at Texas Tech on tornadoes and stuff like that, so uh, tell us a little bit about that before uh, we close out the show.
5: Yeah, so I don't know if you guys know, but um, Lubbock had a huge tornado in 1970. It was the F5 Lubbock tornado, um, which was kind of a rare event, honestly. It wasn't expected Uh, It was massive, it dropped right in the middle of town, uh, killed about 30 people, and um, ever since then, uh, we haven't had tornado sirens in the city, and it's been a lot of political and uh, controversial uh, ramblings about that. Um, A lot of people say the sirens never went off for the 1971, so they didn't want to invest in it again. But uh, anyway, so when I got into doing kind of uh, meteorology and emergency management, I wanted to do a social science project, and I wanted it to be on tornadoes, especially because I didn't really feel like Lubbock was adequately uh, prepared for another tornado, even though we've had an F5 at the time. Um, So what my research was, was I wanted to judge whether or not we had the right resources for the next tornado event. So I looked at storm shelter availability, so basements and safe rooms, things like that. I looked at uh, warning system access, so uh, how many people had weather radios, cable, cell phones, things like that. And then I also looked at outreach availability, so how many people went to outreach events and got prepared. And I wanted to look at that in comparison with demographics because a lot of social science research has come out and said, are certain demographics that make people more vulnerable to disasters. Um, A lot of these demographics have to do with income, education, language, uh, household type, home age, things like that. So I wanted to kind of look at all of this together to kind of judge whether or not Lubbock was prepared for the next tornado. And what I was able to do was I made a social vulnerability scale out of census data. I was able to map exactly where my highly vulnerable populations were based on census block data. And then I was able to put out surveys. So I surveyed each one of those blocks to see what kind of shelters they had, if they even had any, what uh, warning systems they were using or didn't use, or they didn't have access to, and what kind of outreach they had. And then what I did was I went ahead and I did statistical regressions to figure out if there was any correlation. And it turns out that out of all the demographics in the social vulnerability scale, income seemed to play the biggest role of being a predictor of who was able to have the best tornado resource access, So, which kind of makes sense. Um, but it was a very cool study, and uh, I'm actually using social vulnerability scale creation today in my work, and I think it's a wonderful pre-planning technique because if you can plan and map out where your high uh, vulnerable populations are, you can target them with outreach, with resources, um, grants, things like that. And when disaster hits, they will be more prepared and more resilient. And that is exactly what we want. We want to build resilience in our communities.
0: That's some great information. That That's uh, a unique study and uh, one that maybe everybody should pay more attention to and, and getting that word out to those areas who um, may not be um, may not be as as reached as we should, uh, looking at how vulnerable people are. So, um, but yeah, uh, Ashley, we thank you for that. I do want to say it's it's a little bit past nine, so we don't want to go too much after uh, over our our hour time allotment. But I do want to give you the opportunity before we do tweet of the week and. Uh, I'm reading Shay's comments about winter weather, so we'll talk about that as well. So I do want to give you the opportunity before uh, we do our Tweets of the Week is uh, how can our followers or, or listeners um, follow you on Twitter and get information uh, from you?
5: Definitely. So I use my Twitter to talk about weather, modeling, emergency management, uh, pretty much anything in my professional realm. You can find me at Miss Ashes 92 so it's Miss, M-I-S-S, and then Ashes, A-S-H, E-S, and then 92 uh, on Twitter. And that's pretty much where I always am. Honestly, it's turned out to be my favorite platform.
0: Mine too. We, we like Twitter. And for those who are listening tonight or watching along, I think we're going to have Ashley around for a while. I think she uh, she's going to be joining us uh, for some shows. So uh, we're happy to, to have you uh, as a panelist now, Ashley. So we appreciate uh, that as well
5: yeah thank you so much just for having the opportunity to join you guys on you know three times in a row now and just being able to talk about this because i'm very passionate about it and i'm very excited to see where we can take you know science and meteorology inside of emergency management and i think that you know it's going to lead to great things
0: i definitely agree and uh i did have this question this is a little off topic before we get our tweets of the week but someone asked me is how can you call yourself the Carolina weather group and you have folks from everywhere. And so I didn't really know how to answer that, but saying that when we started this four years ago, we, we kind of centered around the Carolinas, but we have since, uh, James, you can help me with the words here. Uh, we have since grown outside of the Carolinas, but I guess the Carolinas have kind of kept us all centered on something, but, um, we cover more of the Southeast now than, than anything else. But, I don't know. We we've kind of batted around the idea of should we change our name, but I think we've all agreed to keep it, right?
2: Yeah, I believe that is correct, Scotty. Are you yeah. looking for reassurance?
0: Yeah, I'm looking for We're someone here to back, for you, man. Someone back me up on that because I didn't know the answer. I didn't know how to. We are the answer.
2: Carolina Weather Group covering the entire Piedmont. I think is what we. That's yeah. right, Scotty. You're putting us
4: all in a very awkward position right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just messing with you.
0: <laughs> oh, let's get to the tweets of the week. See. See, I was like, right. You, uh, want, me, you asked, want me to go? I'm ready to yeah, go. go. I can ahead. change the
2: topic. Change the topic, please. All right, here we go. My tweet of the week is this animated GIF of my wife and I in front of uh, the U.S. Capitol. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we went uh, on a little mid Atlantic uh, trip, and you can see, if you look carefully, uh, the snow that is falling uh, in front of our faces. So, uh, luckily, it was uh, a nice winter day we got to go out and uh, enjoy the weather but it wasn't necessarily accumulating on and scotty will appreciate this they warm ground so uh we were able to walk around without trudging through too much snow but well, that was before the show where we talked about the warm ground right so folks are right. sure what i'm referring to
0: here yeah we talked about them before the show and i'm never gonna let warm ground determine a forecast anymore but the most important question i want to know is uh, James, you were there at the Capitol building. Did you happen to go in and ask them where our radar is for Charlotte yet? I mean,
2: uh, No. That would have been a good use. You know what? I'm going to take some of our petty cash, and I'm going to expense a trip back up, and I will yeah. get that taken. Care I'll
0: of go with you, you if have you have the
2: pe- You have the petty cash, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like I'll go with 75 you. 75 cents now, I think, right?
0: I think we're up to 78, but yeah.
2: yeah okay, good. cool. We'll go. we'll go up there. All right. That All might right. buy
0: you a tasty <laughs>
4: Cinnabon,
0: James. <laughs> I'm not sure it will. Uh, I don't know, Peter would know about that. Let's go to Jared. Jared, what's your tweet of the week? Oh, Jared,
3: tweet of the week is also snow cover. So, this time, uh, nice modus pass over western North Carolina. Speaking of Carolina and the Piedmont and uh, mountainous region, there, god, that's pretty, way better than the cold rain that we had last weekend. God, that's nice. Um, you know, go 16 out of commission, it's coming back tomorrow. Uh, but we're still getting passes from our polar satellites, our polar orbiting satellites, and we get some very nice high-resolution satellite imagery of uh, various events, including lots of snow on the ground. And it lasted a few days across the southeast. It was really cool. Um, so, so yeah, there you go. Tweet of the week.
0: Lots of snow. Can't we, go wrong there. We've still got some areas with snow on the ground up here in the finals, yeah, so... No, the mountains are still the mountains are still white. So, um, uh, let's go. If you don't mind, let me jump in here because mine is kind of dealing with the snow as well. Uh, this is from uh, Eric Webb at Weber Weather, and this is kind of uh, showing the accumulations for uh, North Carolina. Speaking of Carolina Weather Group, uh, this is uh, what we saw. As you can see, the Raleigh area once again got shafted with uh, b- battling between sleet and snow and rain as did Charlotte, but once you got uh, along Interstate 85 in North and West, it was a winter wonderland, and if you look, that is 25 inches of snow at uh, Mount Mitchell, and then also 18 inches of snow down in the uh, Bossoms State Park area, so 25 inches of snow on top of Mount Mitchell, I would have never thought that December the 9th, but that's what it was. So uh, we enjoyed our snow up here, and I'm sorry you guys had to deal with the rain, Jared and Jay. So Scotty, th- which
4: model got that right this time? Uh,
0: that would have been. Uh, I don't know if anybody got 25 inches though, but the Nam did really well, and I'll be I'll go out and publicly and say it. You know, we should have paid attention to that model a little bit more than we did.
4: It's all good. It's all good. I've got a um, mine is more of a video that I pulled from facebook but it's been on just about every uh it's been about on every social media platform this one posted by barstool sports 63 million views on it uh this is la uh near la in southern california with the fires and this this is just apocalyptic looking these guys traveling along the interstate and you can just see the entire mountain just charred in embers and you know some of the em crew that that spoke at i watched an interview and they said that there was tumbleweeds from the from the absolute heat in the Santa Ana winds blowing the combination of everything blowing straight up into the air it was launching um, basically fireballs uh, you know these um, what do you call those things the things that roll across the desert the uh, the, uh, the, tumbleweed. the weed, tumbleweeds yes the tumbleweeds thank you uh, they were they were floating up in the air about hundred200 feet they said and so when you get this kind of this kind of a fire that just drifts and all the debris up in the air that's just traveling you can't ever get ahead of it and um that, that is that's pretty significant for, for EM and firefighters. They can't get ahead of it. They they're always playing catch up to this fire, especially when you have winds of in excess of forty, fifty miles an hour. So um yeah, that that's pretty significant. It's still ongoing right now. And uh we hope the best for them out there in Southern Cal as they deal with these extreme fires in Santa Ana winds right now. So um uh Pete, I don't know if there's if there's anything left for tweets of the week. I've got one more little segment on wintry weather. Some uh folks want to know in our, our comment section. Peter, do you have anything or are we we covered?
1: Go ahead if you want. I'm good. okay.
4: All right. Let me uh close this out and uh screen share again. And I'll just talk briefly, folks. Um, you know, we're we've definitely entered a cool pattern in the southeast region. And so you know, we have to start thinking about the possibilities of wintry precip sort of being in and out of the region for the next week or two. And and so when you have consistent uh, jet stream dips bringing cool weather and moisture and drawing Gulf moisture up from the south uh, and and then joining these short waves that drop down and these these uh, clippers that, that come across the Ohio Valley and the Great Lakes, uh, you know, we, we end up getting a lot of wintry precip events. So, uh, this is the GFS model and we're we're talking 216 hours. This is nine days out, so we can't assume that this is correct. And we we typically we don't like to run models this far out and really say, okay, put your money in the bank on a snowstorm happening or anything like that. But it does suggest a, a cooler pattern for the southeast. And then there's a couple of events here where you see some ice and snow. No, don't, it. Show
0: can... them. don't show don't show and say.
4: No, no, no. Well, you know, we, we get closer to Christmas and folks want to see it, you know, they're gonna see it. Um, you know, and, and then we see some significant uh, precip working its way into the southeast by near Christmas time. That's that's a little bit far fetched right now, but that's about yeah. as far as I think I'm going to go. At but that. look at that! Go know,
0: back, go back.
4: Just you talking about that ridge, that 1051 ridge.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at it. It's pushing winter precip into the Panhandle of Florida right there. That is insane.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> these large ridges that come down from the north. I mean, 1051 is is a is a massive. Uh, That's a very strong ridge of high pressure and that will send a lot of cold air that's in that freezing line very far south. And so then you end up with, um, you know, this kind of a mess, but this is really far out. I mean, you're getting really far out in the forecast, but just just keep your eye out. Keep, uh, you know, tuned in to the local forecasters and the local National Weather Service uh, at least every couple days or so and see what's going on. Because you never know when these things can develop and, and when you have a cool pattern like we've had. You can definitely get some sort of blending and some mixing maybe snows in the higher elevations and Piedmont areas uh, But as far as getting further down into the lowlands and, and the uh, the coastal areas It's going to take a lot more than that to get us to where uh, we get some of that frozen precip But it, it is possible in the next couple of weeks. We just got to watch and see what happens
0: You're right Shane. I, I've said this to a lot of folks including my emergency manager. I work with I would not be surprised to see uh, another winter storm somewhere in the southeast before the end of the month. I mean, the pattern is just right. Um the active storm pattern, the cold air, it just it 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 like Shay says it takes a lot to come together, but the ingredients are there. It's just can we get it all to come together at the time.
4: That's right. Yep. Yeah. And one one more share, this is the probability of having a white Christmas. Uh this this data goes from 1981 to 2010. Uh, It's going through for this year because the percentages are holding, but uh, this is based on one inch or greater And so you see how the mountainous North Carolina's have a higher percentage than anyone else. We're in the we're in the dark area Um, It's still possible, but the the amount or the quantity of events that have occurred over the last whatever hundred years (laughs) uh, Puts us at a very small percentile zero to ten percent So and it gets less and less as you get to the coast. I think we're at what Jared about a point four percent. Is that right?
3: Yeah, uh not enough to not enough to matter. Probably cold say, rain.
0: I will say this little anomaly right here. The last time that we had an early snowfall in December, and now this is just for my area in western North Carolina, was back in two thousand and ten, and that was followed up by a white Christmas, back to back white Christmases. So if you want to play those numbers, you know, play a little bit, we could see uh we could I don't know. You know it's just interesting to look at so if history
4: is any any talent so. roll the dice and see what happens james that's right, that's had, right. uh, one more thing to add before we sign off here
2: yeah we'll be signing off uh, this show in just moments but uh be sure to like us and subscribe to us on facebook and twitter periscope and youtube because immediately coming up next we'll have another live stream we've got a meteor shower tonight so nasa is providing us with a great view of the sky so if you live in a place like i do in charlotte we have a little too much light pollution We'll be streaming it to you coming up here next on our Carolina Weather Group live stream platforms.
0: How cool is that? That's pretty cool, James. Good job. Way to pull those. Way to pull those NASA chains. We know. You yeah.
2: Well, play. you know, we, there was some money left over in the budget, and I <laughs> called some friends, and I went to NASA.gov, and I went, "Oh, hey, look what they're doing. Nice." So, <laughs> thank you, NASA. Oh,
0: that's right. Well. All right, we've had a lot of fun tonight. I do want to say Ricky is off at his uh, company Christmas party, so he's not here tonight. And Eric is still battling uh, some uh, of the effects of the flu, so we hope Eric gets better. But uh, for everyone else, uh, we thank you for watching tonight. Next week we have Dr. Marshall Shepard on with us. Uh, You know Marshall from uh, the Weather Channel's Weather Geeks, so uh, Marshall always joins us uh, towards the end of December. And so uh, this is his third annual I think it's his third time on the Carolina Weather Group. So uh, we're looking forward to having Marshall join us next week. And then after that, we'll be celebrating the Christmas holiday. So uh, there will be no show on the 27th. So for everyone at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great week. And we will see you back here next Wednesday night at 815 with Marshall Shepard.